Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This week's podcast is on the seventh sign of John. John talks about seven signs. We see in the scriptures signs are referred to a number of times. In Mark we are told these signs will follow them that believe. In Acts we see signs and wonders going wherever the believers were. I think that the scripture is really clear about talking about signs and wonders because they were two different things. Wonders were those miraculous events that demonstrated the power and the authority of God. I believe that signs were also miraculous events, but they were things that led not just simply to the glory of God, but to the transformation of believers. To see a miracle is a wonderful thing. To see a life transformed by Jesus changing them, transforming them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to see them reformed, to see them transformed, is a wonderful thing. That is a sign that is hard to dismiss. We can dismiss miracles by all sorts of logic and science, but it is hard to dismiss a changed life that is transformed by the glory of God. The disciples and Jesus had left Jerusalem. They'd been threatened that the Jews would kill them. And I guess that's as good a reason as to leave as any. It was probably about the 11th or 12th time that Jesus had been threatened with death. So he goes to Judea, and there he sent a message from Mary and Martha saying that Lazarus is sick to the point of death. Yet Jesus chooses to wait. This is an unusual situation in that normally Jesus does a miracle and then gives the explanation. But here he gives the explanation first. He talks that Lazarus is going to die, but it will be for God's glory. And so, Jesus waits several days and then heads to Bethany. I love the fact that John includes a verse about Thomas. Thomas gets a pretty bad rap. He's doubting Thomas. He's the doubter. And all the disciples were in the upper room and Jesus appeared to them and they all believed. Thomas wasn't there. And so he wanted some convincing. I wonder how many of the other disciples would have needed convincing if they weren't there when Jesus turned up. Thomas wasn't, so he gets called the doubter. But I love in John 11 how when Jesus talks to them about going back to Bethany, that some of the disciples say, well, hang, hang on, what are we going there for? I mean, they want to kill us. But in verse 16, we see Thomas saying, hey, this is great. If Jesus is going to die, let's go with him and die too. There is for Thomas a sense of faith and excitement about the whole thing. I love the way that John throws that in. So Jesus arrives in Bethany and he's met by Martha who rushes to him and he talks to her and explains that he is a resurrection in the life. Then Mary comes to him. They both say the same thing to him. Basically, kind of, why weren't you here? You could have saved him. 
they didn't perhaps realise that Jesus didn't need to be there in person to save Lazarus. Jesus is deeply moved by the loss of Lazarus. I think it's easy for us to overlook just how deeply moved God is by loss, by hurt. And Jesus here is deeply moved. And he calls forth Lazarus from the grave. Commentators have often said that Jesus needed to say Lazarus came, come forth because if he simply said come forth, then everyone would have risen from the grave. Resurrection was extremely unusual. Only three times did it occur in the Old Testament. It occurred with Elijah, with Elijah, and then with Elijah's bones. And while Jesus had, ridden, has risen, had been responsible for several people rising from the dead, it was not the most common thing, and yet was the most powerful and continues to be the most powerful evidence of the power of God. Because nothing else can resurrect life. Nothing else can give life. And so here we have Jesus calling forth Lazarus. Interestingly, when Lazarus comes forth, he's wearing his grave clothes. Those things that are symbolic of his death and his passing from the old life to the new life. We understand that now in terms of baptism. We understand the need to identify with Christ in death and resurrection. But that was not something that was so clear for Lazarus. But there was the need to understand that he needed to get rid of the baggage from his old life. Are we as clear about our need to get rid of our baggage from our old life? What is it that we need to get rid of? My wife and I have been focusing this last week on Romans 12. Last Sunday, we went to a church to hear a friend of ours who was playing the keyboard. And there was a message on Romans 12, and it was about the different gifts and focused really on the need to serve in the church. And as my wife and I have focused on Romans 12 over the last week, it's become really apparent to me that Romans 12 is a chism. Sorry, a chism is a very simple device that the Jewish people used. And it was a way in which um, they used opposing ideas or opposing truths to highlight a central truth. So it may be as simple as saying, um, I have no life, my life is in Christ, and Christ alone is my life. It's conflicting ideas or contrasting ideas with a central truth in the center. There are lots of chiasms. It's taken from the Greek word for the X, C H I A. Anyway, anyway, have a look. You'll be fascinated with just which ones exist and how common they are. And it's not surprising that Paul uses them. You know, a lot of our own stuff is often in the way that we do things spiritually. A good mate of mine is a graphic designer, and so when God gave him a word about covenants, 
he produced that in a way with such beautiful visual acuity um, and clarity that it became so useful. In fact, another Christian leader in our town has taken that to Africa into the mission field because it speaks about the two covenants. It is so clear. But again, it's because my mate was a graf- as a graphic designer that he was able to bring that acuity. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and so he was used to these Jewish techniques of identifying truth. And Romans 12 really talks to us about the baggage of life. It tells us what we need to do and begins by talking about dedication to God. And it provides contrasting ideas. Verse 10 is the center and the key verse. And it is telling us to love genuinely. The real evidence that we have got rid of baggage in our life is not that we travel light, it's that we love genuinely. Baggage is the stuff that stops us loving genuinely. You know, my wife and I had a time this morning when we prayed and we talked about the things that demonstrate we still have baggage in our life. And one of the things that we needed to do was to confess those things. And I needed to confess that it is sometimes easy to not be in harmony or to be proud. That is some of the baggage that exists in my life and demonstrates that I do not always love genuinely. It's not that I don't love God and it's not that I don't want to walk in his fullness, but I'm aware that I have faults and I am still a work in progress, but I am working to fulfill the call of God on my life and I am working to walk in his fullness. And part of that is understanding what it is that God needs to continually work on in my heart and in my life. Loving genuinely also involves loving sacrificially. And that's where in Romans 12, right at the end of verse 20, there's that strange verse that says, In so doing, you will heap coals upon their head. Sounds a pretty cruel thing to do, to feed your enemy and to sate their thirst. And then you're pouring hot coals on their head. Rather than being an act of cruelty, this was an act of of unspeakable kindness. What would happen would be that when in Bible times the fire in your home went out, it left you pretty devastated. It meant that you had no warmth, you had no light, and you had no ability to prepare meals. And so your primary objective at that time was to get the fire going. And that would prove difficult particularly at the end of the day when everyone was retiring, everyone was settling back. And so you would put a pottery dish, as was a custom, on your head and you would go from door to door asking for hot coals so that you could rekindle your fire. And if someone arrived at your door, you were then faced with a predicament. I can give them a few embers and that may or not may not be enough for them to start a fire. Or I can give them plenty of embers to start their own fire. But in doing so, I risk actually having my own fire go out. Pouring hot coals wasn't about shaming people. It wasn't about hurting them. It was about loving sacrificially, loving to the potentially to the point of hurt. We are called into new life in Christ, and that new life needs to be characterized by our genuine love 
of not only God, so that we would be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the working of God. It means that we live knowing what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It means that we are not carrying the baggage of our old lives. I trust that over the next week that God would speak to you and help you identify if there is anything that stops you living fully in a genuine love. If there is anything of the old grave clothes of your old life that inhibits you. And if so, I trust that God will give you the grace to move into a freshness of new life. Thank you for joining the Cultivate podcast. If we can help you with anything or you'd like some notes, please email us at crosscultivation at gmail.com. God bless.